I could do stuff in NumPy that I would always have to run three or four times because it would have a shape error. And then like after, I don't know, one week of studying some APL, I could just visualize how I would do that. And I would just run and no error every time. Like one week of studying APL did more for my expertise in NumPy than more than one year coding in Jags and NumPy. Welcome to another episode of ArrayCast. My name is Connor, and today I bring to you three different panelists and a special guest. So we'll go around quickly and do introductions, and then um, we're going to have a couple announcements, and then we'll hop into introducing our guests. So we'll start with uh, Bob, then go to Rich, and then go to Marshall. I'm Bob Terrio, and I am a J enthusiast. I am not a professional programmer, and uh, I've been doing lots of work on the J Wiki. I'm Rich Park. Uh, I'm an APL programmer and educator working for Dialog Limited. I'm Marshall Lockbaum. I used to be a J programmer, and then I was a dialogue developer for a while, and now I develop BQN. And as mentioned before, my name's Connor. Oh, yeah. I, I was about to say I'm a professional C++ developer working for NVIDIA, but technically, I'm actually a researcher now working for NVIDIA. Um, still using C++ a little bit here and there, I guess. Um, but yeah, slight role change. And I guess maybe in a future episode, we can talk about that. Um, a few announcements, though. I think we're going to go to Bob with a couple announcements, then we'll go to Rich, and then we'll circle back to me for one final announcement, and then we'll hop into introducing our guest today. Well, as I mentioned, I'm involved with the JWiki, and I've started to make uh, some videos um, and sort of bring people up to date. Now, the most recent one that I've done about the JWiki uh, was some of the things that are in the existing wiki. A lot of the work we're doing is trying to reorganize this wiki, which has got a huge amount of information in diverse places. Well, last night I did a video explaining where those diverse places are and some of the information that you can find on it. If you haven't looked at the JWiki before because it's just too confusing or somebody's given you a link and you didn't know where they sent you, but it was neat stuff, this is a bit more of a roadmap into uh, how to get to things a little bit easier. I'm not going to claim it's easy because the JWiki is big and it's sprawling, and we're going to work on that, but uh, this should help out a little bit. And then the other thing I did this week is I finished up my J promo video, so it's about three minutes and seven seconds long, and it's all about the reasons you should be interested in J. So we'll put links to both of those on this, uh, this one, and uh, hopefully you enjoy them. Cool. I guess in more array language uh, informational educational news, the British APL Association, the recent general meeting, announced that they have completed scanning uh, old editions of uh, the Vector uh, journal, which is the journal of the British APL Association. And so we expect in the coming future, hopefully not too long, that those will be put online uh, I imagine you'll be able to find out more on BritishAPLAssociation.org, and we'll definitely put links to those uh, when we get them. Yeah, we will definitely include uh, links in the show notes um, to both of those. And my final announcement is that I'm actually not sure if we ever talked about CPP North on this podcast, but if you follow sort of my podcast, uh, Cinematic Universe, you'll know that CPP North was a C++ conference that took place um, just in the last couple weeks, if you're listening to this in July or August of uh, 2022. And I gave a talk at that conference. It was a C++ conference, but secretly that talk was, you know, 50 to 75% about APL, depending on how you look at it. Um, and there is a recording of it that I 
uh, sort of live streamed on my YouTube channel. So we'll, if you're interested, uh, we'll leave a link in the show notes for folks to check that out. Um, and with those announcements out of the way, uh, today we're going to be introducing to you, um, hopefully I pronounced this correctly, but if I pronounce it incorrectly, uh, he will correct me, Joao Araujo. And um, I think currently uh, Joao is in Brazil, but will be based in Toronto. So we're going to be in the same, geolocated in the same place. And I first e-met uh, Joao, I believe, from the same way that Bob and I met, which was I was live streaming sort of the J programming um, translations from C, you know, or so the macro C that J source is into C++. That only lasted for a few months, but I, I believe... That is the first time that sort of Joao and I interacted. Um, I could be I could be mistaken about that. We might have actually interacted on Twitter before that. Um, Joao can correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, since then, basically, we've sort of uh, become friends, and we've met up once or twice in Toronto. And uh, Joao is, operates in the machine learning space, so uh, I believe uh, doesn't use Julia day to day, but is a big fan of the Julia programming language and uh, uses Python at work. And um, we did our what was it, the sort of one-year anniversary episode, and we sort of gave a, you know, a call out to if folks have, you know, different things they want to discuss, and Joao reached out to me to bring up the topic of what potentially the limitations of array languages are compared to other programming languages, and things potentially that the array languages, and not just the languages, but the communities could do to sort of address those shortcomings. So I'll stop there. Throw it over to Joao, who can introduce himself, give us a short history of, you know, how you got to where you are today, and then we can hop into the discussion of, you know, what array languages can can do better. So, hi. Um, the presentation was pretty good. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But it's Joao Araujo, if anyone knows, like, the perfect one. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, my background, like, I came from a very small town in Brazil. I did lots of scientific Olympiads when I was in middle school to beginning of high school, but like really lots of them, 40 or something more probably. Yeah, so, uh, and among them, there was a com the computer science Olympiad, which I really loved. Uh, and then from there, like the idea of, okay, I want to do CS games. So this this was very good because here, uh, you have to choose your major before going to college and normal high schools don't prepare you to know what major you want. It's like, oh, I like math. Yeah, you can do any of the 27 recognized engineering disciplines. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, I had this, this better idea. Uh, once I joined college, uh, I decided, okay, let's try to do research and start, you know, learning deep deeply about something and here in my campus the things that had like I had the best chance of doing that was deep learning and so I started studying deep learning reading papers producing some content um, eventually got hired by my company right now it's called Cohere which does natural language processing but uh, I wanted to become also a better programmer and from that, I found Connor's programming language virtual meetup, which has the focus of doing that, right? Learning how to do cool programs and stuff like that. And so I'm not sure if I first met you on the J video or through the 
PLVM. But it was something around that. And yeah, I think that's most of our background. Uh, I have some experience with array programming. Uh, a lot comes from NumPy and Jax in Python and, well, Julia. Um, I have studied some APL. I was like learning APL and showing to my friends at the same time, which was pretty nice. It's like a, it's a cool experience to learn APL with friends, especially because APL is super cool and the whole glyphs thing is like kind of magical. <laughs> so yeah, I, I really like that. Uh, and I am doing some, I don't know, like I, I plan to release some community work for array languages in the sense that I have that um, search engine that goes over specifically like the JWiki, the APL wiki and similar. And at the moment, I am hosting the KK APL site on my site until someone bring, brings it back. So it's this, I just sent on the chat, it's like a celebration of the life of Kenneth Eugene Iverson, um, which was a site with a lot of links and papers and stuff like that about Iverson and APL. I'm not sure what happened, but the main website has gone like out of like out of maintenance and no one has seemed to take it on. And so I'm just hosting it on my GitHub pages until someone either tells me that I'm breaking some law and or <laughs> someone brings the original site back. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Warner Bros. The copyright police come after you. Was that was that keiapl.org before? Yes. And, and you can see the curator at email, which presumably will go into a black hole now. If you... And um, those are Ken Iverson's initials for anybody confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually, I'm, well, I mean, I'm sure mo all of us or most of us clicked on the link that Joao just uh, shared. And I definitely stumbled across this because if anyone has watched my talk, um, almost like, Half of the links are indirectly referenced. I mean, the quotations and anecdotes link um, was directly referenced. The IBM 5100, I'm pretty sure that's where I got like the HD photos from. Um, so yeah, super awesome that uh, you're hosting this. And I, I'm pretty sure Wayback would give you access to it, but definitely that's definitely a, a barrier to entry for folks that are trying to explore yeah. stuff. And Way, way back's kind of ugly sometimes. <laughs> so Yes, very true, very true. Yeah. So hosting directly on GitHub is probably better. Yeah, and I'll have to find out more about this because I didn't know it had been discontinued and I'm guessing it'll talk to Eric and find out why. And I think some of that is we've transferred from the J software over to the wiki, but not maybe all of it. But thank you for doing this. This is great, Jean. That's fantastic. And I'll find out if yeah. we can take the pressure off you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is very, no, no problem. I'm doing a, I'm starting to do that for other websites too. So there was also a scheme one that had lots of awesome scheme papers, like a ton of stuff and historical notes and all that, that also, you know, went under, but uh, it's somewhere on my GitHub nowadays. I don't, I don't know where, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. A collection of disappearing websites with fantastic links uh, for, for those that are interested in the history of computing. Yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely put a link to 
and I encourage listeners um, to go and check this out because, at, yeah, definitely at some point I stumbled across it and clearly uh, was moved by it because I ended up including a bunch of the material that was linked in this page. To Yeah, no, it's, it's just amazing from a history perspective, just a treasure, treasure trove, really. Uh, and on the topic that I would like to discuss, I think I changed it a little bit and never told you, but I think <laughs> what I wanted to talk about more is like, it's related to the second part of what array languages can do to be, you know, to have a larger audience. And I think that the main idea really is going back to the whole tool for thought that, you know, Iverson had in mind when he started creating APL. Uh, I, I don't think going back means, oh, we should stop thinking about these things as programming languages. I think, yeah, they are programming languages, obviously. But I think integrating with other tool for thoughts and with the tool for thoughts community would bring a lot to APL, BQN, and similar. I think BQN is very well positioned for that because it has, you know, the JavaScript implementation. And so I think for you, you could easily make a BQN extension for Rome Research and Obsidian and BlogSeq. And I think the people there would really love that, would really love to have that and would really love the culture of APL. So the community of tools for thought is just like that. They're trying to build tools that allow people to think better and to even like go beyond what you're, you could normally think of. So they have a lot of influence for guys like Vannevar Bush and Alan Kay. And yeah, I always forget all of the names, but. Oh, so is, it, is this a, a ethereal entity that you're referring to as the tool of thought community? Or is this an actual, uh, like there's a, a domain or website, like a forum that people chat on? Are you, is it ethereal or is it is it more not concrete? Because a community can't really be concrete, but. Um. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think there are many forums. Uh, there's like Two for Thoughts Rock, which is a monthly um, podcast slash YouTube series. There are many discords. Um, even in, for example, the Obsidian Discord or the um, LogSeek Discord, they have channels for talking about other tools for thoughts. Especially because the Obsidian is in the like Markdown, yes, based knowledge-based software. Do you guys know about this? You've seen Obsidian. It's like imagine you're doing notes in Markdown, but uh, it's much less laborious to link to other notes. Yeah, so I should probably talk a little bit about two for thoughts, right? Okay, yeah. So um, in in the current iteration, you have things like Rome. Obsidian and LogSeq are the biggest ones. There are others. Uh, and these ones, in some sense, they are in a specific category where you have easy linking, as Rich just said. So if you want to link to another page, you just use double uh, brackets. Square brackets. Yeah. yeah. You just do double square brackets and write the title or an alias. And yeah, that's a link. So it's extremely easy to link. And they they want it to be easy because they want you to be linking your thoughts all the time. They, they want you to see the connections and to create this. 
And another thing that helps with, you know, seeing the connections and, well, it, it just makes you feel, oh, look how, how smart I am, uh, is that they can show you a, a graph of your nodes. And so you can see all of those nodes and their interconnections, which is, again, it, it is interesting. It is something that you can take a look at and be like, oh, okay, so I have these two clusters of nodes and they have some connections. Like, maybe there's something in here. Maybe there is a a general note that could link to everything. Like, um, and another very important point in my mind, at least, is that they have backlinks. So whenever I link to from page A to B, and I can look at B and say, "Oh, um, page A is linking to you." So you can see the the connections in both directions. So these are the the, the high level ideas of them. They are writing software. They have differences. So Obsidian is Document markdown based, Grom and LogSeq are more outliner, bullet points based. Um, they have app, they have extension stores where you can add a ton of interesting things to them. And then there's the whole community around those things. They they use those apps. They also use stuff like Enki or Space Repetition that they can just integrate with those apps. Um, there's Muse, which is more like a, a workbench for you to think. And then the idea would be you would Muse to connect PDFs and videos and all that and think, and then you crystallize that on a note in your um, Obsidian row or whatever. Yeah. This is very, so I'm learning a lot um, right now. I had heard of Obsidian, but bef um, and a few folks had rep recommended it to me, but just for the just for the listener so i heard rome and in my head i spelt out r-o-m-e and then i went and googled obsidian rome and then i got back what did i get back i got back a song um by <laughs> i think a band called insidium called obsidian called rome um so rome is not r-o-m-e it's r-o-a-m and then log seek is i think probably how it sounds l-o-g-s-e-q uh and then also too it seems like you know google's recommending a couple others called notion and remnote so i had no idea that there was a competing ecosystem yeah of these note-taking apps um and i also didn't realize that there was this and so was the podcast that you mentioned thoughts that rock or was it something else uh tools for thought rocks tools for thought rocks okay i'll have to we'll have to find that and link that as well so this is all and so do, do you use these sort of note-taking apps religiously do you have a favorite or yeah so uh right now i'm using mostly logseq mm -hmm. um i have used all of the others in the past including the ones that google recommended you um yeah, it's somewhat of a journey. Right now, I like LogSync because I really like this outliner view. So to me, Obsidian by being, you know, based on text, I, I think my mind, because of the way I studied, is more outliner based. And so it fits better with my mind. And uh, I had some issues with the Rome founder, and so I'm not using that. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is all new to me, but... um. You said BQN might be good for integrating with this. And I do have some experience with using uh, BQN and Markdown because that's how the BQN site is uh, put together. So I started with um, just the normal thing on GitHub. I had my GitHub repository and I put up some Markdown pages to explain how things work. 
And eventually I decided I was copy pasting a lot from BQN sessions into that because I had to, I wanted to show the code and what it does. Um, and eventually I decided, well, I want to run BQN in this. So I'll just make my own markdown engine in BQN so that of course it can run BQN code. And I did that and that's what I use now. And it is pretty nice. Um, I've added some extensions after that. So it can also, I can put in a markdown comment that's that's executed as BQN code. And I use that to put together uh, diagrams too. Um, and yeah, it is pretty nice to be able to do this um, and be able to you know, write your document, um, write some BQN code, not even like, you, you may not even need to evaluate it if it's a simple line and then build the document and reload it and see you have your document there and the results immediately all together. So you can keep writing based on that. Um, so I think that is pretty useful. I've started using it for another project that's um, that's uh, demonstrating kind of how to use music theory with some examples in BQN. Um, and so I think that is a good mix. Yeah, no, I think people just love it. And uh, I, like, I really believe that you can make, you can integrate BQN with like log seek in, I don't know, one day, one, one afternoon or something like that. Uh, because they just have a very simple extension system and yeah. So yeah, I'll have to take a look at that. Yeah. And really like this is the community that thinks a lot about new ways of thinking and um, bring, if you just throw the notation as a tool for thoughts, at them, they'll be like, well, we really need to use this. And if you can integrate with their tools nowadays, it's just, yeah, they they would just love it. And I think that that's a very good path forward that would help both the, the array programming community and the tools for thought community. Uh, I also think that there's a lot of things pointed in, in that direction, uh, just like how people talk about APL, you know, uh, I think Alan Perley said that, well, APL doesn't have many libraries because sometimes the building, the, the solving of that problem is as important as the final solution. Like pretty much thinking through and building that was as important as just having a, 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 a pre-made solution that you could use. Um, and I, I think like I, I had some notes. Uh, I. I don't think I'll go through all of them, but like over many different people that you brought to discuss in, in the in this podcast, many of them alluded to some ideas of like how the the nice thing about APL is how it changes the way you think and how you you think differently and more efficiently and all of that in APL. Like it, it's very focused on the way. On, on thoughts, just like that other communities focus. Like not many people will tell you that Python changed the way they think, you know. So I guess you recently started diving into APL. Has that changed the way that, you know, you, you mentioned NumPy Jax? Yeah, right after that, I, I just like, I could do stuff in NumPy that I would always have to run three or four times because it would have a shape error. And then like after, I don't know, one week of studying some APL, I could just visualize how I would do that. And I would just run and no error every time. Like one week of studying APL did more for my, let's say, expertise in NumPy than more than one year coding in Jags and NumPy 
All right, clip it. Put it on a T-shirt. Put it on a poster. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's awesome to hear. Um, and yeah, it's it's even yeah, so much of what you're saying um, resonates. And like, even even, and I think this is something I've started to think about. I was actually talking um, with Tony Vanierd, who's a member of the C plus plus community at when, at the CPP North conference. Is that um, I think a part of the reason why I fell in love with APL is that I started to fall in love with the C++ algorithms, which essentially operate on sequences, um, like, you know, rank one vectors, uh, and many other libraries in other languages sort of don't fit that model. They have folds, they have unfolds, you know, things like splits and chunk by, et cetera. But in C++, it was really just like, you get a range, you give back a range, or you give back an iterator. So they've got folds, and they've got uh, basically transforms. Um, and the matrix is basically just an extension of that model. Like, you go from operating on, you know, a rank one to a rank two. And it's it's almost like that, like the C++ algorithm library is kind of like a subset of, like, APL. Like, no one's going to agree with that statement. But in my head, <laughs> like, going from doing transforms on, you know, sequences, a.k.a. rank 1 vectors, to doing transforms on rank 2 vectors, a.k.a. matrices, it's like a natural extension. And, like, where I was in sort of learning things, um, it, it made a lot of sense. Anyway, so, yeah, what you're saying about um, it just being, like, you know, you learn so much so quickly. If, like you said, a, a year of NumPy isn't, you know, you can compare it to basically a week in APL because it it completely. And you were talking about shapes, but um, I find that like even the even the APL model for thinking about rank one rank one vectors or strings is like incredibly useful. Um, like so many leak code problems aren't dealing with matrices, and not that like leak code is the ben benchmark for like what makes a good language, but like you know every week I go and check out, Oh, what are the problems? And, um, so many of them will be solvable in APL and it has nothing to do with matrices. It's just, you'll have a string or you'll have some, you know, list of numbers and you have to do something with it. And, uh, and yeah, it's, 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 it's an incredibly good fit. Um, I guess is my point. How much do you think of that is the, uh, what the array model and how you interact with that itself in APL, or do you think having the notation and the, and the way the syntax works, uh, benefits, especially in terms of, like you say, about the speed of of getting to that place of being able to think about the shapes. I think the notation is very important. Like, uh, I truly believe that the the notation it's just like that thing about you can you can keep five plus or minus two things that are had at the same time. It's in fact like four, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, but just having a specific notation for for complex operations, just allows you to keep it in your mind. Like you can keep more com more complex concepts in your mind at the same time. You can do chunking much more easily than if you had to do like a bunch of fours for every one of those things. And those fours each have weird indexes that you have to somehow remember. Or I think going from fours to just you know the functional programming version is already a, a nice step. But then going to a specific notation for that, that's yeah, that that gives you much more. And 
the APR notation specifically, and I'm sorry for folks from other languages, <laughs> but like <laughs> it, it's so well crafted. I mean, there are a couple of things I'm against, but that it's so well crafted. The, the symmetries in the operate in the operators, like you look at an operator, and if you know another one that's similar, you'll be like, oh, okay, so this probably does something like that. That that that's just magical too. I also wonder because you're talking about these other tools for thought that are more like um, actual full-on systems for like note taking and things like that. The extent to which you you know you have this short notation, you're doing kind of more sooner, um, more complex things expressed in a compact way. But when it comes to expressing that to other people, I mean, especially people outside of the array language community, you're putting a lot of words around it. You have to explain a lot of stuff for them to get the same ideas. Of course, when you share the code with someone who understands that code, um, you can keep the terseness. But maybe these notebooks, uh, I mean, people have been finding, that's what, what Jeremy Howard said he loves the notebooks. I think APL is really good with um, the notebooks. Uh, Stefan Kruger's book, that's a Jupiter book as well. And even um, Rodrigo's reworking of mastering dialogue is in that format and i think that lends really well to having you know lots of prose and then a little bit of code and it's not yeah. too much code that you're now getting lost in the code mm -hmm. and forgetting what you were reading before yeah no that, that's how i think it would be integrated if you suddenly have an apl bqn or j mode for i don't know logseq yeah i think that would be the way people would use it i think that could be really good speaking of jeremy and notebooks uh, you folks should take a look at Quarto. Uh, it's a new notebook system and also a new publishing system. And you can kind of put, use any Jupyter kernel to code in it. And so you could easily do an APL post Quarto and it easily uh, exports to HTML and PDF and I, something like 20 formats. <laughs> uh, and it's pretty nice, pretty ergonomic. Yeah, we'll definitely throw a link into the show notes in that. Um, yeah, I'm not sure this is going to kind of veer off of a little bit, but it, it's just topical because I did this, was it yesterday or two days ago? <laughs> when I was in Whistler of all things, but I just have so much fun doing this, even though I was taking time off. I mean, it was a weekend, but um, the most recent LeetCode uh, problem was, and I'll, we can do this as like a fun game for the the panelists and and joao um and also the listener so feel free if you want i'm not sure if you're running or doing dishes or going for a walk if you want to pause and, and think about the solution but it's it's a pretty easy problem to to explain verbally you're given a list of numbers and you are allowed to do a series of operations where basically you you choose a value that is at least um it's greater than at least the smallest number in the array and you subtract that from any positive number. Um, and then the question is, is how many operations, what's the minimum number of operations to get everything to zero? You subtract that from every number that's at least as high as it, is that, yeah, you said positive. Correct, yeah. Uh, so like, so, or- Every number that would be positive after you subtracted, or at least not negative. Cor correct, yeah. Non-negative, yeah. Right, yeah. I might have explained that poorly. So I think the one of the examples is like, uh, well, I'll just make one up because it doesn't really matter, but it would be like, you know, two, three, six, I guess. 
So you could subtract two, and then you'd end up with zero, one, four, and then you could subtract one, and then you'd get zero, zero, four, and then you could subtract four, and then that would leave you with zero, zero, zero. So like the answer to that question, I believe, is subtracting three times. Um, and so less important is the algorithm, but the solution involves basically just checking how many unique numbers you have in your list, uh, excluding zeros, because if you have a zero on your list, that's going to add one to your answer. And without taking over the whole episode to, to work on this problem, it was extremely interesting in my, for me at least, solving this because an APL, very like you solve it in like three or four characters. It's tally, unique, uh, omega, without zero. That, that's one of the ways to solve it. Um, and without is like the little tilde that basically gets rid of zeros. Um, and and I don't believe BQN has without. No. So then because because BQN doesn't have without, and if you go to the BQN crate and try and look up without, it'll give you basically a filter that's doing a sort of membership. Um, but that like the lack of that glyph affects the way that maybe I want to solve it because now without isn't simple. I have to, it's only a couple extra glyphs, but that's affecting the way that I solve the problem. And I'm now thinking, well, maybe it's actually easier to just subtract uh, a one or zero, whether there's membership of zero in the array. And just like, so like the point of this whole thing is that like the, the glyphs really do affect the way that you, or at least for me, the way that I'm going to solve, because it's like, if I have something that's super simple to reach for, like I'll use it. Um, and obviously there's a couple of people thinking about oh, what about perf, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's a toy example. A perf doesn't matter here, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just that like having a set of operations like wildly affects the way. And then immediately because. Yeah. Well, and it goes both ways. Cause um, I mean, part of the reason without is I go back and forth on without, but definitely intersect. I just don't think intersect is a good way to think about problems. Like if you have it, um, if you're jumping to a solution in terms of intersect, there's often a simpler solution in terms of filtering. And so that's the reason why I wouldn't want to add that to a language without I could add or not. I, I kept it out because it was simpler, but um, intersect and union, I feel are just, uh, you're just bringing that up as a, as a different example or is intersect have okay. Well, they're all the set, these like multi-set functions, right? Yeah. They're all in kind of a group. For BQN, can you define a, a new glyph? Like this glyph is equal to this function? You can't just do assignment uh, within BQN because uh, yeah. then you wouldn't know what uh, what role the glyph has. So BQN has to have all the syntax resolved at compile time. Um, mm -hmm. There is a system function called rebqn that lets you sort of design your own BQN with whatever primitives you want. So that's our solution for that. Oh, yeah, that was the question. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's really cool. So, I mean, yeah, if you if you say, well, I like BQN, but I would prefer to have these other primitives or, um, I mean, particularly if you're doing the kind of uh, desk calculator stuff that, that like people say Jay is really good at, um, then you might want to add a bunch of primitives for things that um, that are not necessarily good general programming tools, but that do come up a lot when you just have, you know, whatever problem that you encounter. So um, it, it's not a perfect solution, but that is BQN's way that it handles it um i was thinking i'm not sure that it's actually the number of unique values is right because if you've got like zero two four six 
and then you subtract four, you should get zero, two, zero, two. And then you subtract two and you're done. Uh, I think... I was wondering if there was going to be some lowest common... Or no, greatest common... Some device of calculating thing involved in it. Zero, two, four, six. So just a progression that's increasing. So the idea is that when you subtract four, you connect the four to the zero, but you also connect the two to the six. Yeah, but now you... Oh, okay, so four goes to zero, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good point. Let me get, because I'm pretty sure I just butchered the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> hang on for three. Yeah, this problem might be pretty hard. <laughs> that's why people yeah. don't generally do uh, pair programming over audio. <laughs> so yeah, the, the exact problem statement is you're given a non-negative integer array, nums, mm-hmm. that's the name of the array. In one operation, you must do two bullet points. One, choose a positive integer x such that x is less than or equal to the smallest non-zero. Never mind. I totally, I use, I think I said oh. greater than. Um, so, so you always just want to choose the smallest non-zero, yeah. right? Uh, you, I think, want to choose the, yeah, the smallest yeah. non-zero yeah. value in your list of numbers. Correct, yeah. Yeah, because otherwise you don't bring anything yeah. to zero. All right, well, totally messed up uh, that explanation, so you might have completely... Oh, man, that's an interesting problem. Though. You, uh... The first one or the second one? The the one that you gave. Your problem. How disappointing to the listener that actually did pause their you know podcast on their run or washing dishes, solved it in their head, only to discover that I made up a problem that was not, and then haven't presented the actual solution uh, to it. Um, but you remembered the solution to the more boring problem and have presented yeah. us with something yeah, far more interesting, so that's good. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a future episode where we can come back and... and uh... Yeah, well, we, we keenly await listener solutions. <laughs> Go ahead, Bob. You were, you were talking about performance, and I, I think it's interesting when you're... And, you know, the leak code problems, those kind of things are... You know, they're, they're little games to play. Um, performance, when, I, when I'm working with Jay, performance is one aspect that I'm looking at, but it's only one. So there are things that I'm, I'm looking for different ways to do it. I'm looking for elegance. I might be code golfing. I might be looking for the shortest, most terse way of solving something. But that isn't to say I'm not interested in performance, but performance is one of the things that I'm interested in. If I was only interested in performance, I really feel I'm missing out on a lot of other opportunities I have to think about the problem. Not saying it's not important. In some cases, it's absolutely vital, in which case that's where your focus is. But I think sometimes with programmers, you miss the, you get into local maxima, basically. You get into the very most performant little nub in the whole problem space. But what you're missing is maybe some really exciting ways to be even more performant because you're just trying to make a little bump higher and higher when Mount Everest is sitting next to you. Um, and you just didn't think of it that way. And that's why I find a lot of the array languages as tools of thought are really interesting because to me, they allow me to look at a problem in a number of different ways, and that gives me a wider range of solutions. And the terseness of the array languages makes it much easier for me to keep those things in my head. As you were saying, the the four plus or minus two, well, that's exactly why it's easy to start moving around with these things. Yeah, like I think that um, there are different kinds of programmers. Like when someone is building a full-blown web, I would rather they really focus on performance. But if you have someone that's 
they are using programming to augment their workflow, then performance isn't always that important, you know? Like, if you're a mathematician... Almost never, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I don't like going like fool. <laughs> I, I try to hedge <laughs> what I talk, what I say. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so like, if you're a mathematician, and okay, you, you can, in some sense, operate with infinite, infinite quantities. But if you wanna generate, I don't know, 20 examples to try to find a pattern in a sequence or in a, something like that, like you, you just want to be able to quickly write down a code that does that, so you can keep your train of thought. You you don't like you, you don't need for it to be all of log n. No, you need to be fast to write and to get the results. Yeah, you need to get answers fastly. You need to get need to get the answers. Yeah, I mean, kind of on that topic you mentioned before. Yeah, so you as the you as the programmer need to get to the solution quickly. You don't necessarily need the computer to perform the computation as fast as possible. Um, but you mentioned before about uh, was it uh, an Alan Perlis bit about uh, you know arriving at the solution is uh, can be just as important as having it because that's almost an antithesis to the sort of uh, library framework world of a lot of the. Um, interpreted languages popular now. I guess I'm mainly talking about Python and R style. Um, and given that part of the topic for today is about, you know, things that the array language community can do to improve or uh, improve their audience or, you know, maybe get wider recognition or whatever goals we have. Um, <laughs> you know, the topic of a package package manager and the ability to share code actually comes up a fair amount. But what do you think about uh, Having that, that's you know, that's a way in which programmers can quickly arrive at a solution without having to care about well, much of the programming. Yeah, at I all, think again, but... it depends on how you frame it. Like, if you move it to a tool for thought, I'd say that mostly the arriving at the solution would be very important. I'll go with what Perley says. Uh, if you're framing as like a full blown programming language that people will be building applications on top that have to be maybe rerun or all of that, then yeah, I think a package manager really helps. So it really depends on how you frame it. I guess another question too is, do you have thoughts on, because um, you mentioned you mentioned workflow augmentation and you also, you know, operate in the ML space and, you know, I've been using NumPy and Jaxes. It almost seems like there's, you know, multiple different spaces where array languages could thrive. But it sounds like actually the one that you're sort of arguing for as being like the best fit is not to, you know, replace your NumPy uh, or Jax code or whatever language you're using. It's it's really for this. It's like the the language that you could add to these note-taking apps, you know, to for... Like you know, even Marshall said a desktop calculator stuff. Like it's it's this it's this notation for thinking thinking and language for quickly doing things or or something like that. So you're not necessarily writing, you know, production APL scripts. Uh, to be a hundred percent honest, I I'm kind of combining a good fit with uh, easy fit. I think it's. It's much easier to arrive at a two for thought community and talk about 
APL, BQNJ as tools for talks, as notations, and all that. Then it is to try to, you know, displace NumPy, like dethrone NumPy and scream the face of God or whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, because like just this space is the kind of space where Julia has a bunch of advantages and it's still not very used because there's just so much code in Python. Why would you move, you know? Like if you come and say, okay, here's like my array language for uh, neural networks or my array DSL for Python, you you have to fight an immense inertia. And so that's why I'm like, when talking about API, we can, they all should focus on tool for thoughts. Like, I think this is a good fit. I think this is a somewhat easy sell. I I do agree that having a a DSL for Python or a new array language for deep learning would be amazing. It would it would be. Um it would maybe even change the kind of neural network you're building. Okay, I'm pretty sure it would. <laughs> like this uh like the founder of my company, he he was one of the authors of a very important paper, like attention is our needs. And he has another paper that's pretty much just like, okay, if you apply if you apply attention in the transpose axis, and now you get another cool neural network. And so just like if it if it was easy to think about the operations we we're doing, I'm sure people would think of different architectures and all that. Uh I just think that it's a it's an uphill climb against the inertia of NumPy and all that. So I guess what are the uh, what are the best ways to infiltrate this community that we have, or at least I have just discovered today that exists? Uh, do we got to go do some podcast? Uh... I think I think go introduce two uh, tools for thought rock that I sent you the link, uh, the chat is a great one. So like um, the the organizer is very open. So I think if you want to just go and talk about okay, here's BQN, here, here's J, here's APL. He'll be like, yeah, cool, we, we love that. And then you could go and talk about notation as a two for thought and the different languages and how they work and show the whole, like, look at how differently and how efficiently you're thinking about this. And they would already love that. And if in the last 10 minutes you showed, oh, and now here's an extension for uh, Brom, LogSeq that does it, and people would just go crazy about it. So yeah, the the, the first the first stop would be doing that probably. Interesting, yeah. And then from there, just go into the discords, show people how to use it, and there will be lots and lots of people interested in that. Like really, they they have such a variety of methods, and there's always so many people passionate about them because at the end of the day. These things are for augmenting your thoughts and people think differently. And if when you find something that really fits with the way you think, you just are like, whoa, I I've been looking for this my whole life. And there will be people there that will be like, whoa, I've been searching for this for my whole life. Yeah. There's a bunch of people searching for APL waiting to find it. Huh. I wouldn't say I was searching for it, but definitely when I stumbled across it, I was like, four characters. Four characters. I mean, that's one of the points of my talk is that, like, I show 
you know, three different expressions that total, like, I don't know if it's 10 characters and the equivalent in C++ and it's, and it's not to say one is worse or better. And the C++, I don't even know. It's like, it's got more lines than APL does characters across three lines. Um, and I would probably say it's like a hundred or 200 characters could be more. And it's just, that is a, yeah, cognitive, it's a barrier to like cognition, like having to think about you know, what data structure am I going to use? You know, how do I allocate? What do I initialize? Blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that goes along with it. And yeah, it's like you mentioned, that's, that's, yeah, the workflow augmentation is that a lot of the times you don't, you're just trying to, you're just trying to do something. You don't, it doesn't matter whether you're using a statically sized thing versus a dynamically sized thing, or it's a, you know, int 32 versus an int 64. And some people, I'm sure, are listening, being like, "What's what is that?" You know, it's like, yeah, it's like <laughs> you don't have to think about that in Python. You know, it's yeah, um, yeah. Bob, Rich, Marshall, thoughts on this whole? We should be leaning more into the tool for thought. Um, I I think Zhao should be like our evangelist marketing guru for because <laughs> I mean I think he's already got a sort of a plan marked out which is excellent and the other thing I, I'm thinking about is it sounds like this uh, no, tools of thought community is probably more predisposed towards accepting different ways of looking at things yes definitely um, which in a lot of cases. In the past, that's been one of the big challenges of the array languages is you spend a lot of time, you know, refuting people's mentions on or, or comments on Hacker News about, you know, how this is all nobody can read this. You know, at a certain point, you know, you just like you're talking into you're talking to a wall. Um, I mean, you, you hope some people are, you know, getting it after a while. But it sounds like within this community, people are already thinking in different ways. And so this is just another different way to think, which to me makes it very receptive to these languages, which is, I think, tremendously exciting. Your, your, your minds are malleable. You're ready to join the array language cult. Very good. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> well, you see, the the other part of it is the, 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 array, the array languages could pick up a lot from these groups too, because, you know, uh, my sense is yes, my mind is malleable. That's that's sort of an ongoing life project to keep my mind malleable. But um, you know, I, I think that's a state of mind as much as it is anything else. You have to you have to work at that. And if you work at that, you're also open to other thoughts, and you're bringing in other information. I'm not limiting myself just to array languages. Um, they are to me very exciting, and and they do make me and challenge me to think in different ways but if other things do as well there's no reason i shouldn't be paying attention to them as well yeah i keep coming back to and i've actually brought this up like a handful of times in the last month since we had jeremy howard on was the at the tail end of the episode um when we talked about myelination and i learned that word and he talked to, he had the sort of the anecdote or the 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 clip of him saying that you know adults aren't good at learning things and it's just um you know his his he talks about enjoying doing what he's doing because it self selects and uh yeah having brought that up like sort of just in discussion over the last month with a you know a, a selection of people and i think that's it's something that he that i don't think is like w talked about enough is that it's like you know, people don't like being told they're biased even though we all are like we we all live you know, our lives through our lived experience and our experiences affect the way we think about things. But like, 
you know, you show up at something and someone says, oh, you know, you have, you're biased. And it's like, you, you don't like hearing that, you know, you don't like hearing that you might be bad at learning something um, or that, you know, people that have passed a certain age, literally biologically, like our, our brains have hardwired to try and not forget the things we've learned is it's like, it's, I think that's like a valuable thing. It was sort of like a throwaway comment or maybe it wasn't even a throwaway, throwaway comment, but it's just, I've, I keep on coming back to that. It's like how much of that affects process and just things generally in the world, you know, outside of programming languages that, you know, we do things the way we do things because that's the way it's done. And it's, it's you know, we d- made some decision at some point in time and, um, just like, yeah, it's a little vanish or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and that's not to say that we should upend all the systems and throw everything out, but it's just like, uh, it's just, oh, is that not what we're saying? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an interesting, like, you know, Oh yeah. You know, um, asking the question like why you know or like why five times and at the end of it it's like oh we actually don't really have a good reason you know it's just uh it just it just is and uh you know some decision was made anyways it's um well that kind of comes back around to marshall's comment on performance and at a certain point you absolutely always have to be concerned with performance if you're running around exploring um you know if you take it in historical terms somebody exploring a new mass of land they're never going to find the fastest points from A to B. That's not the idea. The idea is to find out where they are. And then over time, the people that live in the area will find the best ways to do things. Um, that's, that's kind of the way exploring works. But if you don't have any explorers, you're never going to find new territories to work from. So I think you need a mix of both. But in in all cases, in the case of explorers, performance is down to how much energy do I have to put into finding this stuff. And at a certain point, I just have to get from point A to point B, and exploring is off the map. And I'm not going over that mountain to find out what's there. I'm going through the valley because that's quicker. And that's a reality of the way you have to approach these things, I think, um, to balance finding new things with how much time do I have and how much am I going to get back from finding these new things. The exciting part is if you go into an area that people know, chances are you're going to find things that they don't know about because they're on these regular paths that they always walk. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. All right, so I'm leaning towards NP, NP hard. All right. But it's possible there's a dynamic <laughs> programming approach. Because it's, I'm pretty sure it's not even always the case that you want to make a move oh. that aligns two of the numbers. If you can make a, if you can make a move that makes the remaining numbers, keep coming for the listener. So you might be able to make a move that lines things up in such a way that your next move, even though it's between things, then lines up big groups of numbers. Um, can our can our listeners? I, I don't have that airtight, but can our listeners expect a BQN solution blog post or something by uh, the time this is out? Uh... <laughs> this might become an open research problem. <laughs> I mean, I've seen I've seen on GitHub now um, you can add, or maybe it's t- um, I'm not sure if it's on all of them, but you can. There's a button that clicks cite this, so it's like you can cite GitHub repos and generate the necessary. Um, so, you know, we should have one for our podcast now, uh, clearly. Uh, but they're not in Harvard or uh, whatever format is. MIT citation. That's what our show notes are. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to name one, but honestly, I, I can't I can't off the top of my head. Uh, well, the Raycast format needs to become yeah. the new standard thing. 
<laughs> Having spent writing master's papers and working with APA, I oh, that just makes me shiver when I think about those. You you would be happy to know, Bob, that now, well, I'm not sure if you've done it recently, but I when I was doing my thesis, they have programs now that you just, uh, when you're on some site, you can even, there's plugins, you just click and you just you know, input it similar to this log seek stuff. You know, you just have a database basically of every single thing you've ever looked at. And then as you're referencing stuff, you just, you generate some, I don't think it's a JSON file, but it's some markdown file that like, it's beautiful. It's just clicking buttons and like you choose a format and it does it for you. And, uh, Lord, you know, I can't, I, yeah, I, I feel bad for the people. I, I mean, I was one of those people back in high school when you had to create those formatted things and I was just, and they would dock you marks. I'm like, well, I, I'm not a robot. You know, how am I supposed to do this? And uh, <laughs> now they have the robots doing it and it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And that was just coming in when I was doing my master's thesis. So they, they were there, but they were usually wrong. So it was a matter of going in and, and having to redo them anyway. All right, so we popped all over the place. I'm not sure, Joao, if there's other things that um, you sort of wanted to talk about uh, in terms of, you know. I think conferences. I think there needs to be a array language conference that doesn't cost like more than a yearly scholarship in Brazil. No, that's funny. Were you at the last BAA AGM as well? Because that also came up there was the idea of. Um... As the BAA hosting some kind of, but then you know we need to in either if it's in person have some dotted around the world or uh, some online thing. Well, online things happen. There's something about in person stuff. Yeah, uh, I think I I think like we I was I am organizing something about like category theory for deep learning. Uh, don't want to go into the details yet. Uh, and we we're like okay. Let's try to do this in person. And like, well, we should try to do it in person. It's likely that it won't happen. I'm like, okay, we do it online. Like, it's much better to have it online, but have it like it happening, than trying for in person and just like all the difficulties end up making it impossible to happen. And, and some of the things that I've seen done online, the the benefit you get from that is you can do them with higher frequency, without um, yeah. you know, like so you're not trying to do everything in one weekend with a conference. You can do them over a series of months and do them, you know, every two weeks. And you you start to build on that. And you also, in the old, you know, the things when I was doing my, my master's on online education, you give time for reflection, which is actually one of the most important parts of learning. It's not getting the information in. It's then reflecting on the information you have in your head and matching it to the things that you already know. And that is deep learning and it's huge. And often it's overlooked because it's that thing that happens when you're not getting information poured into your head. Yeah. And, uh, and those are the areas that I think um, a series of online any one of them might not be significant, but I think if you looked back at a, a, a sequence of five or six over a couple of months, you'd find there had been significant uh, information exchanged and some real possibly breakthroughs, depending on who you have on the on the calls. Yeah, and, and really, uh, also the cost. The cost also matters a lot. Like many online, just like uh, at the the dialogue user meeting, um, the the total cost taking into account like our ticket and the the ticket price for the the conference itself since it's in euros like a big tech worker in brazil would have a hard time going that that's the the level of it 
having recently been involved in the organizing of a conference, admittedly, I did not do most of the heavy lifting. I was just adjacent to the people doing the heavy lifting. But um, I love the idea of like having an array con, um, which is like, you know, folks from the J community, the BQN community, the APL community, you know, multiple tracks of different languages, you know, Julia are everyone's invited sharing. Cause I think there's tons of cross pollination of ideas that would be awesome. Love the idea about it. It would be my most exciting conference that I would look forward to a year. But, uh, the idea of having like to see how much work and how expensive it is like hiring all the AV people, um, to record stuff. Like if I ever were involved, like there's no way, uh, I would do it in person just because of like one, the cost and two, how much work it is. Like it's, um, like when I start to think of that, I'm like, ah, I would just, I prefer to do some kind of summer school thing where you just like invite, invite people to a location. There's no ticket. And then it's just like, you throw people in a room and then they chat and give little lightning talks and stuff. Um, so, and I I do think there are huge benefits to having in-person things, but just, I think from a cost and, uh, like an amount of work, um, virtual is so much easier and i think i think in the future you know the future's coming uh like how many years that is but like you know say what you will about meta uh and you know whether they're helping or hurting the world um you know when there is some what's that uh book that became a movie uh ready player ready 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 player one ready player one thank you um like if that's the future where like I don't necessarily need a haptic suit um to go <laughs> to go to a conference but if instead of going to you know what are they gather town I I'm sure a lot of folks at this point um are familiar where you waddle you waddle around like a little uh game boy character um as soon as that becomes actually like putting on a hololens where you're walking around a virtual conference and it's more of actually feeling like you're in a you know 3D space chatting with people I think the incentive for actually like the the cost of in person is really going to be hard to justify that, including like not to even mention the environmental impacts of everyone hopping on a plane and flying everywhere. Uh, at, at some point, it's just going to be like the virtual, no haptic suit required uh, Hololens conference is probably going to be the standard. Um, I think there are a couple AI conferences that happen over VR chat. In fact, during the pandemic, what is VR chat? Kind of what it sounds like on the tin. It's one of those. <laughs> to be honest, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the chat, the chat service, but you're in VR, like. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so yeah. Does everyone require a, a Oculus or a Vive or? No, I think it even works on the on the browser in a normal PC if you want. So you can use a you can use a specific VR thing, or you can just use your normal computer. Well, so part of the yeah. question is when you're, when setting up a conference is so easily easy, why do you even set up a conference? So um, like you could hold a conference by chat, but then everybody would ask, why don't we all just pick a time and get together in the chat room, which is what we do. Um, so I think it would probably evolve to be something where much more you can just meet with anybody at any time as opposed to having a fixed conference schedule. And um, definitely there's a lot of value in people putting together presentations, um, but the that doesn't necessarily have to be coupled with the sort of community aspect of the conference. 
I was going to say, I, I think um, wh whenever you impose a constraint or a structure on something, you actually end up improving it. And I think that's one thing that conferences do, is that suddenly you've got a time to be there and a presentation you have to give if you're giving one. And um, it's the old deadline. Yeah, so you think the time and the presentation together. I, th I think that, uh, I think that, that introduces a constraint that actually improves things. Because definitely... Um, Clearly, the time, like Adam's done his apple cultivations on the APL orchard, um, there the time is getting a lot mm. of people together and discussing stuff. So that was, uh, and he's he's done uh, the current one is Apple Quest. Um, he's doing things like that. So that on its own is uh, clearly you know helping be more of a community collaboration. Yeah, the, the constraints surely help. But I, I'm kind of yeah, it's possible that adding the papers is is also doing a lot for conferences. Were you going to say something else to our? Oh, that I'm kind of doing the idea of just getting people together for a bunch of projects. Like, uh, I'm trying to, you know, see cool people and like, okay, I think these cool people should chat with each other. And so I'm just organizing random ring hangouts <laughs> for folks. For example, the the programming language hangout that I had organized before. Yeah, I do think too. There is there is something like people have a limited amount of time and they're choosing you know, yes. what to attend and, and what to go to. And I think there's a ton of value in just, yeah, opening up the chat room. Anyone that wants to join can join and doing that on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, however often you want to do it. But there is something to be said about organizing something, not necessarily with a con at the end of it, you know, PyCon, CppCon, et cetera, con. Um, but like it's, it, it, you know, adds a, uh, so I don't want to say gravitas to like to, to what it's happening, but like it becomes an event where, you know, oh, potentially things might get announced or a special talk is being given and it draws people there. And that like that snowballs into, you know, you don't want to if there's a you have a limited number of weeks of the year that you can take sort of off of work to spend on education, um, you're going to choose and, uh, you know, if there's if there isn't a Raycon that's going to generate attendance from a bunch more people that might not necessarily take the time to hop into like uh you know a, a weekly a weekly call or sort of hangout or, or what you will and there's tons of value to both and I, I think there is something to be said about being there being less of a need for kind of conferences if if you know communication becomes just so much easier when you can hop on some sort of video call uh, but i still think there's a, a ton of value in having some sort of labeled or named events that's you know once a year or twice a year um because then people ask oh are you going to going to this and it, it collects you know a certain set of people that yeah. wouldn't necessarily be at those weekly discussions which i th i think definitely adds value i think the key to that is is the people that you put in as your keynote speakers and the people that you bring in to present at that because yeah. it becomes a big event you you know if you I know, you know, <laughs> quite often Arthur Whitney comes up at, <laughs> on this podcast. But if you had something like that, and I was at a, a J conference where, and I think Mar Marshall was as well, where Arthur came on and gave a presentation, well, that's a big deal. <laughs> you know, you're going to go someplace to, to, to get that point of view to see him and hear, hear what he has to say about something. Um, you know, I think, I think that becomes a big part of an annual conference is you bring in speakers that people might not e otherwise be able to interact with or, or listen to. And I think that's the big advantage of the, you know, the tentpole events. 
but the but the smaller one can still work. And the example I'm thinking of is the British APL Association with COVID has moved from I'm looking at their email saying, oh, yeah, we're meeting at this pub down the road. And, you know, and I'm thinking, well, you know, that's great. I, I, I you know, and sometimes they're publishing what they've talked about, which is was really great. It was in Vector shows up and all those things. Those are wonderful things. I was hugely appreciative of that. But when they went online, I can participate in it. I can sit, you know, there's time yeah. zones, but I can sit here and, and listen to their AGM and listen to discuss things and, and actually hear people talking back and forth. They do that every two weeks. You know, Dialogue has seen the advantage of that with the videos that Rich and Adam have done. They do the same thing. They're alternating with, with the British APL Association now. It's, it's a way to draw people in that isn't the big conference. And I think when you think about Dialogue's big annual user meeting, well, you got to realize that's being done for another reason. Like that's being done for the people that are using Dialogue, the the um, uh, the users of Dialogue, the the companies that are using it professionally, and it's going to a place that is very expensive, but that is part of the process as you're trying to develop that um, that event, and in this case, it's a place and a, and a feeling that's that event. But that is really important. It's not to be minimized. And it's also not necessarily the way to reach a wider audience because of the cost. But I think for its audience, it's actually very good at what it does. Yeah, it's a great, a great place for developing these sort of professional relationships in that space where there already are users. But I mean, that's also part of, I guess it did stem from moving online with the pandemic. But when we started uh, doing that, the Apple Seeds user meetings in the springtime, which is very much more, you know, it's going to continue to do that stay free be about reaching a wider audience um and and stealing really good names of meetings from marshall from <laughs> from from previous orchard meetings i think that's where the name came from um it, yeah i did do a meeting of that name i don't know if that was what caused you to have that name <laughs> no no i think it was a coincidence but i think i did ask <laughs> if, yeah yeah if I, I think so if i could take the name um but yeah, no, that's very much what that's about. If anyone wants to uh, speak at the next one next spring, um, yeah, send your emails to any anyone here. We'll probably pick up the message. <laughs> <laughs> send your emails to anyone. Uh, I think we've got apple seeds at Dialogue. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, we're a few minutes over, but um, just want to make sure that, Joao, there's uh, nothing left on your list. We've got Tools for Thought, uh, community sort of, trying to reach out to them, conferences, anything else you think that the Array folks are could be doing, or is, is that the... I think those are the most important ones, yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, this has been, I, I mean, I always love these discussions, but uh, this has been awesome, and uh, I'm looking forward to having you back in Toronto. And I was going to say, you know, on the topic of, uh, not that our listeners super care, but on the topic of, you know, the virtualness of these, you know, I still yet have yet to meet any of... Uh, the panelists uh, that that you know make up this podcast, but that could change in the next uh, week here because I'm actually on Vancouver Island, um, only 30 minutes away from Bob, I think. So um, the virtualness of this podcast will—I mean, it'll remain, but uh, you know, I might I might actually get to meet one of one of the uh, um, the folks that that we talk regularly with. But uh, with that said, uh, thank you so much for coming on, Joao. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm looking forward to 
to yeah to seeing um the response we get because i'm sure that there are a ton of folks listening to this that have you know different thoughts on things that the array community could be doing better and uh, maybe a listener out there will go and create a virtual or in-person array con you know you know one can one can wish uh but yeah thanks for coming on and with that we will say happy array programming happy Happy array programming. programming